Welcome to Kingdom Living Ministries, where our vision is knowing God, loving people, and making disciples. We trust this week's message will be a blessing to your life. Enjoy the teaching ministry of KLM. All right, I'm not going to be before you long today. Um, you know, PD had been talking uh, recently about the new birth. He's been doing a series on that. And uh, even before that, kind of talking about the cross, you know, talking about this message of the gospel, you know, and just continually being reminded of the importance of the gospel in our lives, right? We know that's important. And there's a quote from the great reformer Martin Luther, not Martin Luther the King, but Martin Luther <laughs> from the Protestant Reformation. And he said that, um, that he has to preach the gospel to him himself every day because he forgets it every day. Isn't that powerful? He said he had to preach the gospel to himself every day. Great man of God like that had to be reminded because what? We often get distracted. It's not that we don't forget the message. It's not that we don't forget it, but it doesn't become a priority into, in our lives every day because of what other distractions we have around us. And so the gospel, we also know, is power, right? Yes. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is what the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is powerful. It's the power unto salvation. And so when we think about salvation, it's a very personal thing, right? You know, we, you can't ride your parents' coattails into heaven. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, like it's not passed down in the DNA. We have to make our own decisions for Christ. And often in, in, in Christendom, we say things like, have you made Jesus your personal Lord and Savior? And we tell people that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's, it's, it's very personal. And the ministers did a great job um, earlier in this year talking about the spiritual disciplines or holy habits. We talked about giving. They talked about prayer, the word, rest, fellowship, all those good things. And those are about that personal spiritual development as we have to grow to the maturity in Christ as individuals. But here's the thing. We have to be careful that we don't develop in all of our spiritual development and understanding the personal aspect of salvation, that we don't develop a me-first Christianity, a Christianity that's just about us and our spiritual growth. You know, that's something that um, has, can infiltrate the church from the world. You know, the best-selling books in the world are self-help books. And those are good. You know, I read a lot of self-help books. It's important for that self-growth. But when it's all about us, we lose the, the, the bigger picture. Even if you walk into like a Christian bookstore, right? You see all these, these books on spiritual development, but not too many on discipleship, not too many on community outreach, not too much on, 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 on servanthood. Hmm. And these are all key aspects. And so I want to present to you today this idea, this concept of the bigger picture of the gospel, okay? That God is the God of both the um, personal but also the bigger picture. I want to present it like this, the micro and the macro, okay? So micro, okay, micro refers to a simple definition. Micro refers to smaller things, personal things, okay? Um, from our perspective, earth-level things, okay? And the macro refers to the larger things, the bigger picture. And from that perspective, the heaven-level view. Now, God is the God of both. And they're both significant. The small things, just because it's micro doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean it's not significant. 
okay? So the micro is important to God, but so is the bigger picture. And we can't over-index ourselves on one or the other. They're both important. We have to have that balance, all right? And so we see throughout scripture that even um, when we see uh, lessons that Jesus is talking about or he encounters different um, encounters with God that different patriarchs had with God, there's usually um, a dual meaning in a sense. There's, there's a dual purpose. It means something for them personally in their lives and that time and that moment for those people. But there's also a heaven level view. There's a bigger perspective to what that message or what God was saying to those people meant that reverberates throughout history. Because from that heavenly perspective, he sees all the pieces, all the parts, past, present, future, how what happens today, how this word that he speaks today has effect for the future. And it all ties together. So throughout scripture, we see there's this, this dual meaning. There's two sides of things that happen, okay? So one example is easily is um, marriage. And let's go, um, this is actually gonna be our first scripture. How many married people we have in here? All right. Happily married people. Amen. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> Praise God. Well, whether you're happily married or not, I hope you've been enjoying the marriage sessions that we've been having. <laughs> Going to give a little plug to June 11th, our next one. All right. So uh, turn with me in your Bibles to uh, Ephesians chapter 5. And so marriage, we know, is a beautiful thing. We enjoy it. And, and, and we think, and, and part of it is on the macro level, it's, it's about us finding someone to spend the rest of our lives with, right? To death do, do us part, right? Fall in love, grow old together. That's, that's great, and that's important. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture to your marriage union, okay? Uh, Ephesians 5, verse 31. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This, is, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So you thought your marriage was just about you. You thought your marriage was just about you two growing together, procreating, and everything like that. But marriage is actually symbolic. The bigger picture of marriage, the macro view of marriage, is it represents Christ and the church. It represents Christ, the bridegroom, and us, the bride, and, and the marriage supper of the Lamb mentioned in Revelation of God coming, Jesus, and his, his love and his desire and his pursuit of us, the church, the body of Christ, and us being one. So your marriage, your marriage represents that larger thing. It's symbolic to the world of Jesus loving his, his bride, the church. Mm. So when we see the power of your marriage, that is not just some earthly perspective. It's a heavenly perspective. It's not as easy to walk away. Mm. It's not as easy to leave. Mm. Okay, y'all don't like that. I'll just move on. I'll move on. Okay. Okay. So we also see throughout the Old Testament um, this, 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 um, the, these two meanings, these two sides of both the micro and the macro in any lessons. Because throughout the Old Testament, there are um, what you have types and shadows of Christ. So much of the Old Testament points to Christ. It points to the crucifixion. It points to, um, it points to the, the, the new birth, right? And, what, and the work that Christ did on the, on the cross. And so, so many patriarchs, if we look at the life of Moses, if you look at Joseph in the Old Testament, if you look at um, 
uh, David, all of those people, they had encounters with God and had, you know, um, God spoke and did mighty things in, in, in their lives. But those things also mirrored and spoke about Christ. It pointed to Christ. It pointed to Jesus. It pointed to the cross. It pointed to the resurrection. And one of the examples of that is Abraham, the father of our faith, right? Abraham, um, I'm telling you, you study Abraham, man, it encourages your faith. And so we know Abraham, right? Abraham was God called him out from his land. He said, come away from, come out from your people and follow me. I'm going to make you a great nation. And so we know the story that, you know, he was in his 90s. Sarah was in her 90s. And he said, look, I'm going to make you a great nation. And so he gave him that promise of the child. Messed it up at first, but he got the promised child, Isaac, right? And so there's a, a particular moment where God calls him to sacrifice Isaac, right? He calls him to sacrifice Isaac. And when I say sacrifice, I don't mean, oh, just dedicate him to God. No, kill him, okay? For me, he was testing him, right? And so Abraham, now this is, the, this is the interesting thing about Abraham. Abraham didn't, th this isn't even part of the message, but it, it says in the scripture that the very next morning, early, he got up and went on his way to do that. He didn't debate it. He had already, he was quick to obey. That's the faith of Abraham, right? And so we see, we know the story. Um, he goes up, he's going to sacrifice Isaac, ties him up, you know, takes out the knife. And right before God stops him and says, look, no, I know, now that I know that you withhold nothing from me. And he has the ram in the thicket. So in the micro, the point of that to Abraham, the, the, the point of that message, the point of that story in the time, space, and moment was to test Abraham's faith. Okay, it was to know that Abraham, okay, you're faithful, trying his faith. That was it. But the bigger picture pointed to Christ. The bigger picture pointed to the Father God sacrificing his only son, his only son, right? That was a symbol throughout history. Now, Abraham didn't understand that. So in the moment, in the, on the earth level view, he couldn't see that. But throughout history, the bigger picture, the bigger picture was, wow, this points to Christ, the sacrifice that the Father made, right? And even in um, Hebrews, um, Hebrews 11, it says, it talks about that. It says that, you know, that Abraham, that it shows that parallel. And it says to Abraham, in essence, Isaac was resurrected because in his heart, he had already killed him. He had decided in his heart. Mm, come on, he obeyed in his heart first, so he was already. So figuratively, it, is, it, is, it shows the whole process of it because in his mind, Isaac was resurrected. Hmm, okay. So we see there's, there's stuff throughout scripture that shows those two, um, both the micro and the macro. So let's look at a couple of New Testament examples. Turn with me to, um, let's go to Luke uh, 19. All right, you guys follow me? So we're talking about we're talking about Jesus here, Luke 19. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. And it says, He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Remember those two. Those are important points. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, 
for he was about to pass the pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for I must stay at your house today. He hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. They said, he has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the, and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half, my good, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Okay, this is a powerful story. This is a powerful story. And so let's focus on that micro first. Let's talk about that personal to Zacchaeus. See, this is powerful because it says in the beginning in verse 1, Jesus was passing through. He entered Jericho to pass through. That was not his destination. Okay? So, and it doesn't even say that he was going around preaching. There was crowds gathered around. But he wasn't preaching. He wasn't going around healing. He was just passing through to his destination. And we see later in the um, chapter, his destination was Jerusalem because it was about to be the triumphal entry. So we're just like oh, a week over his a week away from his crucifixion, okay? So this is a significant time. Time is running out. He's on a mission, okay? He has somewhere to go, okay? He's going through. He's not stopping in Jericho, but he stops. He pauses. He sees one man. There was a crowd there, but he stopped for one man, one man. Zacchaeus, he saw him. He said, I must come to your house. Now, for me, I would think, okay, you want to have maximum impact, so Zacchaeus, get your crew, get everybody out there, let's have a block party, put Jesus on the soapbox, and he'll preach and get everybody saved. No, 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 no. He said, I'm coming to your house. This is intimate. This is just you, one-on-one, your family, made Jesus' disciples, but he came. This, see how personal this is? You see how personal this was? He saw him. He was passing through, so he, 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 he um, detoured from his mission where he was going, and we see this throughout Scripture. Jesus is always on his way somewhere. Jesus was never just like roaming, okay? He was always on a mission, going somewhere. But there's times where he stopped, he paused. Even when he was going somewhere, he's going on his way to heal somebody and someone else needs something. And he says, wait, I have to take care of this. And so this is what he does with Zacchaeus. He pauses and, and, and takes that moment to, to speak to him intimately. That's a personal, that's a powerful micro moment that is very significant to Zacchaeus and his family. He said that salvation came to his house that day. So that's the micro. That's the important. That's the personal. But what's the bigger picture of this? What's, what's the macro level view? What's the heaven level view that Jesus was trying to get across the bigger picture? Okay, so we see that um, I said those two things, that Zacchaeus was a tax collector and he was rich, okay? And so we have to first understand um, what a tax collector was back then, okay? So tax collectors, and especially in Zacchaeus' um, place, were Jews, and they collected taxes on behalf of the Roman government, okay? And so Rome um, was the occupying force there, okay, the Roman Empire. And so there's two things that um, about tax collectors. One, they tended to defraud people. They tended to extort people, and that's how they got rich. Because he even said it there, if I defrauded anyone, I pay back more. So they were collecting taxes, and they were taking more off the top. They are like, all right, tax is 10%. We're going to charge 15%. I'm pocketing that 5%, right? That's how they got rich. So that's one of the reasons they, they were despised. But there's, a, there's another one, okay? And so... Uh, the best way I can kind of describe this is bring this to like a modern day um, example for us to understand. Um, we all understand what's going on in Ukraine now, right? We, we, we know that there's a sovereign nation that was invaded by Russia, right? And, and from what I last saw in the eastern part, there are certain cities that 
the Russian forces have control over. So imagine this, imagine this, you have Ukrainian citizens living in a city that's totally occupied by enemy force, right? That they now control. So imagine if there's citizens, Ukrainian citizens, who now are gonna side with the Russians and go to their neighbors and say, oh, we need to collect money and taxes for these people who have invaded. Yeah, you need to come up off your money. How do you think they feel about them? They would look at them like, you guys are traitors. What is wrong with you? You're my neighbor. We grew up together. That's what happened in Israel. These were people who grew up together. Their parents, grandparents went to the temple together, worshiped together. And now these people, this occupying force of Rome, these people were working for them and taking that money from their fellow citizens, their brothers. That's why they were despised. So in every culture, in every moment of time, there's always um, some sinners that we see as the worst, right? It's, it's different now. We don't see the IRS as the worst people, you know what I'm saying? We might not like them, but you know what I'm saying? We're not like, oh, they're the scum of the earth, no. But that's how the Jews back, they saw the, the tax collectors. Like They were the worst of the worst. If there's a sinner, you want to define a sinner, it's a tax collector, okay, right? So, so we understand that he was a tax collector. Also, he was rich. Now, both of these have powerful context when we look back at Luke 18, the chapter before this, a lesson Jesus was speaking just before Luke 19. In Luke 18, there's two powerful stories, okay? So one, he tells a parable to his um, disciples, and the parable is of a tax collector and a Pharisee. And they're praying in the temple. And so the Pharisee is praying like, God, thank God you hear my prayer. I'm not like this tax collector over here. And meanwhile, the tax collector won't even lift up his face to God. And is like, God, please, I'm begging you, hear my prayer. And he was showing his humility. And so Jesus was teaching them the lesson of humility using a tax collector. Okay? We see that. Now, later in chapter 18, there's a story. There's an encounter with a rich man where the rich man comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know, keep the commandments. He said, I did all that from when I was a child. And then he says, oh, there's one thing that you didn't do. Sell all, give all your money away, sell it to the, sell stuff to the poor, and then you can follow me. And then he says, nah, I can't do that, God. I ain't coming off that money. So Jesus says this. He says, it's harder for a rich man to get into heaven. It's hard. It's almost impossible for a rich man to get into heaven. But with God, all things are possible. So following up chapter 18 and chapter 19, we encounter, a, in the real life, not a parable, a rich man and a tax collector. So what was the big picture Jesus is communicating? He's showing what he just taught the chapter before. He's showing the bigger picture, that this tax collector that you see is despised, the rich man who is, it's hard for them to get into heaven, I do the impossible. I come and save the lost. This is the bigger picture. I want you guys to change your thinking that these tax collectors, these, these sinners, these people are, are, are someone who are, that do not deserve the grace of God. It was a bigger picture that he was trying to show them, the macro level view of that. You feel me? You guys seeing that? Amen, amen. All right, let's go to another, another example here. Let's go to John chapter four. And this is um, a, a familiar verse of scripture. I think PD was referencing this uh, the other week. And so we're going to, uh, it's the story of the woman at the well. Many of you are familiar with that. And so we're going to start in uh, verse 3. <clears throat> and it's just talking about Jesus. It says, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to the town of Samaria called Sakar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus was wearied, and he was wearied from the journey, so he sat beside the well, and this was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone to the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to, said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. That's important. So Jesus answered to her, if you knew the gift of God, who it was, is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where is this living water? Are you greater than our father, Abraham? I mean, excuse me, Jacob. He gave us the well and and drank from himself as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give um, him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty again or come near to draw water. And so here it goes. Jesus says, go call your husband, tell him to come here. And the woman said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. He's and you're saying you have no husband, for you have five husbands, and one you're living with, the one you have now is not your husband. What, have I, what you have said is true. So Jesus just told all her business. And he said, so the woman said, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Yeah, he knows, she knows he's a prophet now. And so our father worshiped on this mountain, but you, and you Jews in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe the hour is coming when neither the mountain nor in Jerusalem will, but will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and it's now here. The hour is coming, it is now here, when the true worships of God will worship Father and Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking the such people to worship him, and God is the Spirit, and those who worship him must worship in Spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, he is called the Christ, when he comes he will tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who, sp I who speak to you am he. Okay, I'm going to pause there. It's a mouthful. That's a lot, right? And so this is another powerful, personal, micro moment that Jesus had with this woman for um, for this time, this space, and and just the this just so illustrates the the personal love of Christ. A couple things we also see here that this was not his destination. You see, so we we have a trend here. Jesus is going out of his way, pausing, stopping to you know, to encounter someone. So he's not, he's just going through Samaria. He had to go through there. That wasn't his destination. And so the interesting thing is Jesus goes and he's sitting there at the well and this woman comes. Now, there's, there's a couple key things here. One, I believe that, it said Jesus was weary, but I believe Jesus sat there knowing that woman was, com was coming. He came specifically for her. Because even though he was weary and he, he was there and he sat down at the well, look throughout the scripture. After this long conversation, Jesus never took a drink. He wasn't there for the water. He was there for her, to encounter her at that well. And so we know that, um, and, and, and you know, people will say and, and that, you know, obviously she was, obviously because she had, so, she had been divorced so many times and that um, it was the middle of the day and he usually came in the morning, that she didn't want to be around other people because she was very judged in that town and everything. So she's sort of an outcast, okay? So he's coming personally for this outcast, this person who that doesn't, you know, people around her uh, 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 judge her. And so it's a very personal, intimate encounter with her. And then the other thing is, if you look at throughout the Gospels, that is very, one, 
that Jesus didn't have too many one-on-one conversations. The disciples were, were generally always around. So this is an intimate, personal, one-on-one conversation. And there's not too many times in scriptures dedicated to one person. This is nearly 30 verses. This is a long conversation, taking his time alone when he could have been with his disciples or teaching lessons and everything. No, 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 no. He took that personal time with her, a long time to sit there. Personal. Man, that's, that's the God we serve. That's why we know have that personal relationship. That's why these, these personal micro moments are, are, are so impactful because he's the, as big as he is, as great as he is, he cares about us on that personal level to go out of his way. Amen? Amen. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture in this story. So his disciples, we're going to pick it up in verse 27. So just then his disciples came back, and they marveled that he was talking with the woman. But no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? But in their minds, they're like, why, why is he here? We're in Samaria. We don't deal with these people. Why is he talking to her? But that's what they're thinking. So, and at that moment, the woman left with a water jar and went away to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who, have, um, who told me all I ever did. Can this be the Christ? So they went out of town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, um, we're going to skip down. Um, it goes into a, a different story, but um, we're talking with the disciples. But we're going to skip down to verse 34. Um, excuse me, 35. So this is Jesus. And this, this is in context. This is in the same moment. And he says, uh, within the same story, and he says, Do you not say that there are four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for the harvest. So when he's talking about the harvest, he's talking about the harvest of souls, the harvest of people that we bring into the kingdom. This is in context to where he is in this time, in this moment, but he's explaining the bigger picture. When he's saying look up at the harvest, he's saying look around here in Samaria, here. See, because they they were trained to think that, okay, we're going to the lost sheep of Jerusalem. We're going to the lost sheep of Israel. But he's saying, no, 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 no. Look around here. The harvest is plentiful here. How do we know that? Let's skip down. Verse 39, many Samaritans from the town believed him because of the woman's testimony. He told them that he, all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, in this moment, they asked him to stay with them there two days, and many more believed his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, but we have heard ourselves, and we know indeed, we know this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is Samaritans. These are Gentiles. You know how long he spent three years in Jerusalem, and it took three years for them to realize that. How long did it take Peter, who walked with him, to get the revelation? The revelation that, oh, yes, you are the Son of God. Two days, they got it. They got, oh, you're the Savior of the world. You're the Savior of the world. So the bigger picture, the, the idea, the big idea that he was explaining to him is like, guys, you got to think outside the box. You got to expand your thinking here in Samaria, here, this place where we feel like we don't come, we don't hang on. The harvest, the harvest is plentiful. They're ready. It's ripe here, the bigger picture. And that echoed throughout time because after the cross, after the crucifixion, after he rose from the dead and he's ascending, he's giving them the great commission. He says, I want you to go to, Ju- I want you to, go to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And that register in their minds, they knew Samaria is right. Samaria is ready for this gospel because we saw it. We were there. That's the bigger picture. Amen. Amen. So what does this mean for us? How is this applicable to us? And so we, we have to ask ourselves, 
How is our micro moment, how is our personal encounter with Jesus impacting the bigger picture? Hmm. How's it impacting the bigger picture? See, we all had personal encounters with God. You know, the woman had it at the well. Zacchaeus had it in his house. For us, it might have been in church at an Easter service. It might have been at a youth event. It might have been your parents impacting you. Or it could have been just alone in your car, in your bedroom, crying out and Jesus encountering you. But we all had those micro encounters. But what's the bigger picture? What is he trying to uh, communicate through us? And what is he trying to communicate to the story of our lives and what he has done in our lives? See, because I, I talked earlier about we can get into this habit of just focusing on ourselves. And so I preach this message as having been a receiver of this message throughout this week preparing because God was preaching it to me. Because I know that I've gotten caught up just in my own spiritual development and just focusing on me because it's, it's a challenge enough, you know, to just consistently, you know, live out those spiritual disciplines for our spiritual growth. Because some days, ah, you don't feel like getting the word. Ah, some days, ah, your prayer is a little dry, you know. And so it, it takes discipline, and it's, and it's easy enough just for our own spiritual development. And then when you have a family, okay, and, and, and as a man and, and, and being the head of my house, there's, there's that added thing of, of supporting my wife and, and, and trying to raise up my daughter, in the gospel, right? Because there's nothing I want more than her to be saved. There's nothing I want more than her to know Christ. And so that's my prayers and everything like that. It's, it's just energy goes into that, right? But here's the thing. It's bigger than that. And so sometimes I've gotten uh, uh, less aware of everything going on around me. But there's a bigger picture. There's a bigger picture, right? So there's two key things that I wanna, want us to remember. One is do not ignore the personal micro encounters with God in your spiritual growth because that's foundational and that's important, okay? But we have to understand this. And um, uh, the pastor of a church that I used to go to used to always say this and it always reverberates through, throughout my mind is that when, when you take care of God's business, he takes care of your business, right? So, yeah, we know that we want to we care about our family, our kids, and our personal growth. But, man, when you are on the mission to affect others, man, God's going to take care of that, all right? It goes through everything. If sowing, if, if you are giving, oh, you're not going to be broke. Don't worry about it. Your needs are going to be taken care of. So that's why we have to look at the bigger picture, the bigger picture of the gospel. You see what I'm saying? Hmm. So what we have to do is we have to look beyond our own needs and asking God to, to meet our needs and our desires and start to ask him, God, how can you use me to meet others' needs, the needs around me? Hmm. Amen. Let's turn to Second uh, Corinthians. And I'm finishing up here. Closing out, this will be the last scripture that we go to. Second Corinthians 5. And I'm going to go to verse 17. And it says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, 
to be reconciled. Man, this is powerful. So we see kind of both the micro and the macro in this. We see that in Christ. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. He's done that work. He's reconciled us. And now he's called us to represent him. It says to be his ambassadors. All right. And we, we, we are stewards of this message of reconciliation. We are reconciled in order to spread the message of reconciliation. And so um, it says, um, where is it? Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, um, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. Through us. See, people have their micro encounters with God, but most of the time now Jesus isn't walking the earth. How are they having those encounters? Through us. Through us, we are the ones who are, who are finding the woman at the well. We are the ones who are seeing Zacchaeus in the tree. That's who we are now. That's why we have to pray, expand our prayers, expand our thinking, to think beyond our own self and beyond our own family and see the needs of those around us. Hmm, hmm. And so the thing is, it's not, it's easier than we, than we think. Okay, because what it is, and, and it's not something, and I don't want to think, want you to think that this is like a, um, something that you have to work up, you have to do. The Spirit of God is in you, okay? And so if God has called us ambassadors and called us to do it, then he has equipped us and empowered us to work through us to do it. And so we just have to follow the promptings of the Spirit. You hear the voice of God. You know why? Because he said, my sheep hear my voice. If you're a sheep, you hear his voice. Stop denying it. You hear it. You are hardwired to hear the voice of God because he's, his spirit is in you. So he's speaking to you. You just have to lift thing for those promptings. And those promptings are just simple things. It just might be a prompt to, hey, you haven't talked to this person in a while. Why don't you give him a text? Reach out to this person. Oh, go buy this, this person. There's, there's promptings to see just to, expect, to, 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 to look beyond your own experience, your own life. It's just the spirit is always reminding us of those things. So it's just listening to those promptings, obeying those promptings, and seeing what God can do through us as we represent those micro moments as ambassadors of Christ. In, in Colossians 1.20, and this is another part. This is another bigger picture here. In Colossians 1.20, it says that he is uh, rec- talking about Jesus. He's reconciling all things, heaven and earth, all things. Okay, you know what all means in the Greek? All. All things. So that means everything, right? He's reconciling everything. And so wh- what does that mean he's reconciling all things? Hmm. It means that he's restoring everything that's been broken by the fall. Everything that's been affected and broken by the fall, he is restoring. So what's been broken by the fall? See, at the fall, sin didn't just enter the human race. It entered the world. The scripture says sin entered the world. So it affected the world. That's why it's jacked up. That's why there's systems jacked up. That's why communities are jacked up. Why economies and political systems, everything is jacked up because sin entered the world and affected everything. And Christ is in the process of restoring, reconciling all of it. And we play a part in that. Anything that's broken, he's calling us to restore. So what is that? That's broken marriages. That's broken relationships. That's dysfunctional families. That's broken mindsets. That's the poor. That's broken systems. That's your community that is suffering, broken. Everything. The gospel reaches all of that. It's very holistic. Hmm. Jesus said this. He said, uh, I think it was Jesus. It might have been Paul. But it's in the Bible. So anyway, he said, <laughs> the Bible says. We don't know who said it. You just say the Bible says. The Bible says that true religion is taking care of widows and orphans. Hmm. See, because our gospel has to be holistic. 
because who is affected by the fall? Widows and orphans, all of those people, right? So we have to expand our thinking, the bigger picture. Even when um, Paul was preaching the gospel, he got converted and he had to share his message with uh, Peter and the apostles back in Jerusalem. And they said, all right, Paul, everything you're preaching to the Gentiles is cool. But one more thing, don't forget the poor. Mm, that's important. These things are important. Yes, it's their salvation, but it's holistic. It's holistic. It's everything. It's, it's, the way, it's a way of life, how we impact. You know, the, the script, it also says in the Bible that it talks about the apostles, and it said these are those who turn the world upside down. How did they turn the world upside down? They weren't just converting people. Yeah, that was a big part of it, but there were other religious movements converting people. It was just changing the way of life. It was bringing kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, down to the earth. We're kingdom living ministries, that kingdom mentality, how it impacts everything. Mm, it has to permeate, it has to go throughout our life. Amen. And so he's called us, he's empowered us, he's equipped us to do this, to reconcile all things. It's just about looking beyond ourselves, listen to the spirit of God and allowing him to use us to spread that message of reconciliation of all things. Yeah. Amen. Let me pray for us, and then um, we'll uh, have offering. That's it. Uh, <clears throat> Father God, mm, we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for this word today, God. We thank you that it would not return unto you void, God. We thank you, Lord, that you are the God of both the micro and the macro, the small picture, the details, this time, this space and moment but also the God of the bigger picture, Lord. Help us to see both. Help us not to neglect either, Lord. Help us, Lord, to listen to you, to your spirit speaking to us, to impact the world around us, Lord, to see their needs and see the big picture. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That concludes this week's message, and thank you very much for listening. For more information about Kingdom Living Ministries, please call us at 732-324-2200 or visit our website at kingdomlivingnj.org. Also, you can write to us by mail at P.O. Box 519, Rancocas, New Jersey, 08073. And lastly, if you would like to partner with this ministry through your prayers or financial support, contact us via email at partners at kingdomlivingnj.org. Our prayer is that this message has encouraged you to live out the kingdom of God daily in your life by your obedience to His Word. God bless you.